Hi, and welcome to the McGregor Dementia Support Ministry Podcast, a podcast providing relevant resources to those currently walking the dementia journey with their loved ones. Today's podcast is a session recorded from our Alzheimer's and Dementia Seminar held here at McGregor Baptist Church on February 18th, 2023. Today's podcast session title is Understanding Dementia. Not all types of dementia are created equal by Dr. Ed Shaw. Today we're going to talk about understanding dementia, and uh, as as Pastor Mark said, um, uh, my career has been sort of twofold. I, I practiced 25 years. I was actually a brain cancer doctor. I treated adults and children who had brain tumors, and ever since uh, I was in medical school uh, 40 years ago, had an interest in the human brain. So my research interest as a brain cancer doctor was in cognitive function, which is memory and thinking functions in cancer patients and cancer survivors. So, oh, I've got to get my clicker out here. So here's a picture of my family um, about 10 years ago. And uh, you, you see uh, my late wife, Rebecca, uh, on the left with me and those are our three adult daughters. That's my son-in-law and first grandson. Um, that grandson is now about as tall as his mother. He's 12 and there's a second grandson that's come along and another son-in-law. So family has grown. Uh, and even though I had worked with the brain as a brain cancer doctor and even worked with memory and cognitive function issues, um, uh, I did not understand dementia. And I would say that that's true for the typical practicing physician or even uh, people who are in medical or mental health care. You know, dementia is sort of a whole different thing and many people don't fully understand dementia. But one thing I did understand, if you look at Rebecca uh, in that picture, um, you would never guess that she has middle stage Alzheimer's disease. I mean, she looks, she looks well. She didn't have a gray hair on her head. And so one morning at the age of 53, as Mark said, um, she was reading a US News and World Report magazine. And she looked at me and she said, I've read this article three times and I can't remember anything. Nothing sticks. And you know, I knew that that wasn't normal for a 53-year-old woman who had a master's degree in speech pathology, worked helping people who had had stroke and head trauma to help do their speech rehabilitation, an IQ of 150, no family history, athletic, a distance swimmer. She was the person who should not have gotten Alzheimer's disease. And I have to say that in that moment, when she said, my memory doesn't work, I knew that she had early onset Alzheimer's disease. So yes, we got uh, an opinion at Wake Forest, we went to Duke, we went to Mayo Clinic, you know, and everybody said, yes, she has early onset Alzheimer's disease. And as I'll talk about in a sec, we are in the midst of an epidemic of dementia in our country. Uh, this is, you know, in the midst of the pandemic we've experienced, 
But beneath that, and especially in people who are older, we have an epidemic of dementia. So as you look at Rebecca, you would never know that she needed help getting dressed. She needed help cutting her food so she could eat. She needed help with bathing and showering. And yet she looks perfectly well in that picture. And you know, when she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, you know, I didn't understand, my daughters didn't understand really what that meant. And so that's what I wanna share with you this morning is kind of what is Alzheimer's disease? What is dementia? In order to do that, we have to talk a little bit about this noodle you have up here in your head called your brain. So we'll talk about the brain, what it's supposed to do, how it changes as you get less young. So I'm not gonna say the O word, the old, you know, older. Okay, so you get less young. And, um, and then what changes if you do develop dementia? So if you're interested in, in reading about our family's journey with Rebecca's Alzheimer's disease, um, I was privileged to write a book with um, Debbie Barr and Dr. Gary Chapman. Dr. Chapman's name you may know as um, the Five Love Language guy. He wrote the original book, The Five Love Languages. And so we co-authored a book called Keeping Love Alive as Memories Fade, The Five Love Languages and the Alzheimer's Journey. And you can see, you can barely see um, my name on there, but Dr. Chapman, he's, he's got the big letters. Yeah, so, um, and uh, Dr. Chapman's a wonderful man and a, and a very good friend. And the first chapter describes kind of what our family went through as Rebecca's disease progressed over time. And then we talk about how to use the five love languages to, uh, to build relationship and communicate with somebody who's on the Alzheimer's journey. So what is dementia? So simply stated, dementia is a neurodegenerative disease. So a neurodegenerative disease is a disease that affects the neurons of the brain. Those are the nerve wires up in your brain. You have billions and billions of them. And when you have a neurodegenerative disease, those neurons get sick and they don't function as well and they'll die. And when the neurons die, it causes the brain to shrink. That very simply is what a neurodegenerative disease is and what dementia is. Now the most common type of dementia is Alzheimer's disease and I'll show that in just a sec. You've heard of other neurodegenerative diseases, Parkinson's disease, uh, ALS, which is Lou Gehrig's disease. So dementia affects the brain and eventually will affect the body. Lou Gehrig's disease or ALS affects more the body, though it will eventually affect the brain. And then there's a genetic disease called Huntington's disease. So we have lots of neurodegenerative diseases. These are actually the most incurable of all human diseases. Um, we've made so much progress in cancer and heart disease, but less progress with neurodegenerative diseases. But we've made some and both Amy and I are gonna talk about some of the hopeful things that are happening to treat these diseases. So this is a slide that talks about the Alzheimer's epidemic. Um, and so on the, uh, the bottom is time. So you see the current year 2023. And right now in 2023, we have about 7 million people living with Alzheimer's disease in the United States. Um, and then another 2 million people living with other forms of dementia. So I'll talk about those as well. 
by the year 2050, as all of the baby boomers age up, we're expected to nearly double to have 13 million people living with Alzheimer's and then additional people living with other forms of dementia. In other words, this is the epidemic that I'm talking about, that the numbers of people affected by dementia are gonna increase and by 2050, the number one thing that our tax dollars will go to health-wise is the care of people living with dementia, more so than people with cancer or heart disease. So it's truly gonna be something that will be uh, made aware to everybody, uh, everybody in our country. So what is it that are risk factors for developing dementia? Um, so the number one risk factor is age. So the old, well, the less young you are, <laughs> the more likely you are to develop Alzheimer's disease. So um, the sort of lifetime risk of developing Alzheimer's is one in eight. So that means one in eight people who are in this room will develop Alzheimer's disease during the course of their life. Now, if you live to be 100, that risk is about one in two. So the older you are, the more likely you are to develop Alzheimer's disease. Other risk factors include gender. Women are more likely to develop Alzheimer's than men. There's probably hormonal factors involved, but there's other things that I think we don't fully understand. So the older you are, women, race and ethnicity, people who have brown skin or black skin are more likely to develop dementia than people who have white skin. Family history, um, Alzheimer's disease by and large is not a genetic disease. I mentioned Huntington's disease earlier. If you have a parent who has Huntington's disease, half the children are gonna develop the disease. So that's not true with Alzheimer's disease, especially if the parent has older onset. You have an increased risk, but you're still more likely not to develop dementia than to develop dementia. So family history is important for risk. Very uncommonly, maybe 3% of cases are inherited, but the majority are sporadic, which means we don't really understand why people develop the dementia, but they do. Other things like high blood pressure, diabetes, head injury, there's a whole list of risk factors if you've had a head injury, it doesn't mean you're gonna develop dementia, but it means that your risk is increased. So those are some of the risk factors. Now, here's some facts and figures from this year's Alzheimer's Association website. That's a website that has lots of information. It's alz.org. So uh, lots and lots of information. Nearly seven million people have Alzheimer's. I mentioned that already. Since the year 2000, death from heart disease has decreased by 7%, while death from dementia has increased 145%. One in three seniors will now die uh, with dementia, either because of dementia or of something else, but they also have dementia. Dementia now accounts for more deaths than breast cancer and prostate cancer deaths combined. And so this is an amazing, fact that now it's more likely that a woman in her lifetime will develop Alzheimer's disease than she will develop breast cancer because we're better at preventing screening for breast cancer than, than we used to be. 
And I already mentioned the cost of dementia care is expected to exceed a trillion dollars in 2050. Now this last uh, thing on the slide may surprise you that the average annual cost, if you have a loved one with dementia, the average annual cost for their care is $65,000 per year. And you may say, no way, that's just way too much. So I'll tell you, we're, my lay wife Rebecca lived nine years with her Alzheimer's disease, and I kept a spreadsheet of the cost of her care. It was $499,994. It was a half a million dollars. Now, um, because of the kind of picture her dementia had, I had her home, and in the last two years of life, she needed two caregivers. Um, so it was expensive, but that you know, that 499,000 divided by five, that's about the 65,000 that's there. It's very expensive. Um, so those are some facts and figures. So now we're gonna get to the brain. So I wanna introduce you to the thing up here in your head called your brain. So um, on the left is a picture of the brain and um, uh, your brain is not color coded like this, by the way. So I'll show you what it actually looks like, but for the purposes of our illustration, it's easier to have it color-coded. So you can see that um, there's a lobe, there's a part of the brain that's right in the front underneath your forehead. Now this is highly technical terminology. The front lobes of your brain are called the frontal lobes, right? <laughs> the lobes underneath your temples are called your temporal lobes. Then the ones up here are called your parietal lobes. That's not as intuitive. Then the funny name one way at the, under the bumps at the back of your head, those are your occipital lobes. And then right at the base of your head is your, what's called your cerebellum and then your brainstem, which that little thing at the bottom, that green thing hooks your brain up to the rest of your body, all the different nerves in your body. Your brain is actually smaller than you think. Um, it's about the size of two grapefruits smushed together. It weighs about the same as two grapefruit, three pounds. Uh, it has those four lobes on each side that I mentioned, and it has billions and billions of neurons in it. And each neuron has connection, about 10,000 connections. So you imagine a billion neurons times 10,000 connections. I can't do that math, but the only number larger than that is our national debt. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> no more political jokes. <laughs> so the amazing thing about your brain is it controls everything you think, everything you feel, everything you say, everything you do. If you wanna intentionally do or say something, it ain't gonna happen unless your brain tells it to happen. And so I talk about the brain because when you have a loved one who has dementia, or maybe you're here having some memory loss and you're trying to figure out why, or you're having trouble remembering names, which all of us do after the age of 50, you know, that by understanding what your brain is supposed to normally do, then you can better understand what the brain uh, does that it shouldn't be or can't do when it's affected by dementia. So I told you I'd show you a picture of what the brain looks like. If you were to pluck somebody's brain out of their head, 
that's what it would look like. It's kind of this grayish brown appearance. You notice it's really folded and convoluted. It has these little um, kind of folds of tissue and it's very densely packed together. So sometimes people will think, oh, well, my brain is spongy like a kitchen sponge. It's not like that at all. It's very dense like a, a big uh, slab of boiled ham. That's the density of what the human brain is like because it's packed full of all of these neurons. So what does the brain do? Um, so the description of what the brain does is called cognitive function. And you can think of cognitive function as just your thinking functions. So very simply stated, your brain does five main things and then it has two important side jobs. So the five main things the brain does is it helps you pay attention. I can see despite the bright lights that most of you are paying attention. Thank you very much. Um, your brain takes care of multitasking. So multitasking, it goes by the fancy term of executive function, not executive like the executive of a company, executive as is it helps you plan a series of steps to carry out a complex function. The most complex function that we do humanly is driving. So there have been papers written about if you want to go to the drugstore, go to CVS or Walgreens and pick up a prescription, there's about 40 steps involved all the way from saying, oh, I need to go get my prescription to getting your keys and opening the door and getting in the car and turning the car on and back, you know, I could go through all the steps, but there's about 40 steps involved. And that requires planning and problem solving and judgment because as you're driving, you make lots of judgment about the traffic. Now, I could go off on a tangent about traffic in Florida, okay? So uh, Claire and I have been here for two weeks. I spoke in or at First Baptist Orlando two weeks ago, so we've been in Florida two weeks. And I just have to say that the driving laws are different in Florida than North Carolina, okay? So like, for instance, uh, you have these people here in Florida, I call them the weavers, right? So you don't see them in your rear view mirror, but they suddenly appear, they zoom around you, right? And they're weaving in and out of traffic. So we have weavers in North Carolina, but they make fabric, you know, they... they um, and, and then in North Carolina, a yellow light means slow down, but it seems like here, yellow light means speed up, and you know, try and get as many cars through while the light is red as possible. Yeah, so that's different. And then I'm just gonna say one other thing because I've, I've digressed a little bit and Kim is getting nervous that I'm gonna uh, lose track of my time. But in North Carolina, we have things in our cars called turn signals. You know what I mean? So like you push down when you wanna go left and then, anyway. So, so driving is the most complex of the, the multitasking functions. And I'll talk about the others in a little bit. Remembering, memory. This is the cognitive function that most of us are aware of is changing as we get less young. So I'm gonna talk about what are some of the things your brain normally does as you get older. The next cognitive function, so paying attention, multitasking, remembering is language function understanding what people say and getting your words out. That's language function and that's programmed right beneath your ears and your temporal lobes with some other hookups in your brain.
And lastly, you have spatial skills. So this one is harder to understand, but we have a function, it's by the purple thing up there, the parietal lobe, that helps us to navigate the world in three-dimensional space. So we have an awareness of where our body is at all times, right? So I can close my eyes and put my right arm out like this, and I know exactly that my right arm is off to the right of my body, and it's down a little bit, it's not straight out. So we have an awareness of where our body is in three-dimensional space. It helps us with driving to stay in the middle of our lane. It helps us go up and down stairs or up and down curbs. And people who have dementia often have impairment of these spatial skills. And you hear about falls and people with dementia fall a lot. And it's because of impaired spatial skills and other reasons too. So those are the five main cognitive functions. Those are the five kind of building blocks of what your brain does. The other things that your brain does that are related to cognitive function, but they're not strictly speaking cognitive function, your brain kind of programs your personality. Your personality is who you are, introvert, extrovert, um, and how it is that you interact with other people to sort of get your needs met and to meet other people's needs over time. That's your personality. And that's programmed as a brain function in the front lobes of the brain. And we know that one of the earliest symptoms of dementia is a change in personality. For uh, uh, frontotemporal dementia, that's the major symptom that occurs. So we'll come to that later too. And lastly, your emotions are programmed in your brain. It's a very uh, sort of deeply wired part of your brain, right in the core of your brain. There are emotional connections throughout the entire brain, both sides of the brain talking to each other, but it's, it's uh, rooted in the core. And so whether you're happy or you're sad or you're mad or you're anxious, that's a function of your brain. And I mention these seven things because all seven of these things are affected with dementia, but in very different ways. So Kim um, wanted the title of this talk to be, you know, not all types of dementia are created equal. And in fact, the, the, the different types of common dementia are very, very different diseases. And that's what we're gonna jump into next. So I wanna talk uh, about the spectrum of cognitive function. Most of you here have what would be considered normal brain function. So that's kind of at one end of the spectrum. I have normal brain function. Now, as you get less young, your brain does change. And on the next slide, I'll talk about some of the things that change with what we call normal cognitive aging, which is just a fancy term that says, yes, there are things that change with my brain as I get older. Your brain does decrease in size a little bit as you get older, but only by a couple percent. Your brain pretty much stays the same size all the way through your lifespan, even though there are some functional changes. Now, if your brain is not aging normally, then uh, you have what's called abnormal brain aging. And we have a term that describes this. And this term is one you've probably never heard of, um, but when you talk with Amy, and you'll hear it today, it's a very important term. It's called mild cognitive impairment. 
And mild cognitive impairment isn't just a casual term that says, oh, I've got a little bit of memory loss. I have mild cognitive impairment or MCI. Mild cognitive impairment is a diagnosis. It means that your brain is not functioning as well as other people who are at your level of age and education. So it means that your memory loss is more than you would expect for your age and your level of education. And why that's important is because if you have MCI, two things. One is you're at an increased likelihood of going on to develop dementia. So I said the average risk of dementia is one in eight. But if you have MCI, the likelihood of developing dementia is between 50% to 90%. So you have a much greater likelihood. You could say that MCI is like pre-Alzheimer's or pre-dementia. I'm a little reluctant to use that term because not everybody who has MCI does develop dementia. There are reversible causes of memory loss. We'll talk about those. But most people who have MCI go on to develop dementia. So the second reason that's important is we now have, so since I was here a year ago, we have our first FDA approved drug to treat Alzheimer's disease. We have a second drug that's gonna be approved soon, sometime in the next three or four months. And we have over 400 drugs in clinical trials right now. We've made more progress in the last year than in the whole history of medicine prior to that. We are moving finally in the right direction, something I couldn't say a year ago. So on the other end of that spectrum of cognitive function is if you have dementia. Remember, dementia is that neurodegenerative disease that makes the nerve wires and all those lobes of your brain, it makes them sick and it causes some of them to die. And so if you have dementia, it begins with that MCI diagnosis and then it will progress over time to early, middle, and then late stage dementia. So that's the spectrum of cognitive function. And what are my chances of developing Alzheimer's? One in eight. So you might say, ah, oh, gosh, I hope I'm not in that one in eight. But that means that seven of eight people don't develop dementia. And if you don't remember anything else that I say today, remember what I just put on the slide, that Alzheimer's is not an inevitable consequence of aging. If you live to be 100, your risk of developing dementia does increase if you're blessed to be a, a centenarian. But it doesn't mean you're automatically gonna get Alzheimer's disease. Most people don't get it, but some people do. So what is normal brain aging? So what's normal, once you hit 50 or so, um, things happen with the brain. Your thinking slows down just a little bit and you have a decrease in your attention span. You tend to be more of a focused person and, and not as good a multitasker. You, this is the most common thing is you have difficulty with what's called confrontational naming. So you see somebody at church, you know that you've seen that guy right there and it's pastor, uh, oh, I, I just can't remember, it's you know, one of those guys. You know, you can't remember somebody's name. It's so frustrating. Or you can't remember the name of a movie or an actor. Or you see an object and you know that thing with the flowers is a, holds water and yet, but you just can't quite remember the word. Those are normal things that happen with your brain starting at about age 50. 
it doesn't mean that you're gonna get dementia. So the next time you can't remember somebody's name, I just want you to say to yourself, it's like Dorothy clicking her heels, right? I'm not gonna get dementia, I'm not gonna get dementia, I'm not gonna get dementia, right? Because the odds are that you don't have dementia if you can't remember the names of people or things or places. That's normal. Mild short-term memory loss is normal. As I mentioned, you know, you have more difficulty with multitasking as you get older, and you may have some changes in personality. You know, it's fairly common that as we get less young, we get a little bit more serious. We begin to think about maybe end of life issues. We may have an occasional lapse in judgment. We could be a little moody or irritable. Interestingly, the symptoms of depression and people who are older are like the most common symptoms of depression in children, moodiness and irritability rather than overt sadness. It's moodiness and irritability. And lastly, our energy level is lower as we get older. So this is normal with brain aging. So what is abnormal brain aging? What are things that if you're experiencing them, you should worry about? And so if you're experiencing any of these things, make sure that you sign up to get your free brain checkup, your brain screening. So um, you can sign up at uh, Amy Shank's table. Uh, it's, it's out at the left as you go out the door all the way at the end. So abnormal brain aging is where you can't remember familiar names like the name of your spouse or your adult children or your grandchildren, people who are really close to you whose names should just pop right into your head. That's not normal. When you're conversing, you lose your train of thought. You know, you literally stop mid-sentence and you say, what was I saying? Um, you repeat stories over and over again. So the, you say the same story uh, or you hear a loved one say the same story even a minute or five minutes later. Or you can't recall the, the basic facts of your own personal history, where you were born, what your occupation was, where you grew up, who your best friend was when you were a little kid. These are all things that kind of get cemented into a part of our brain called our crystal memory. And so we have about nine different kinds of memory. And when um, these kind of things happen, that's not normal uh, brain aging. Um, and so I mentioned this thing called executive function, the ability to plan, problem solve, multitask, use judgment. And these are the things that, um, that we use every day that require uh, that kind of multitasking ability. So if you start needing help with those things because you're having trouble thinking them through, not because of physical limitations, but because you're having trouble thinking them through, then that would not be normal brain aging. So things like driving, cooking, cleaning, washing, making a grocery list and shopping, paying bills, managing your medications, using a cell phone or using a computer to do fairly simple things like email. When those things you become dependent on others, then that would indicate that your brain may not be aging normally. And so if you find yourself uh, in a situation where your brain isn't maybe aging normally and you're worried about it, sign up for a free brain screening. Um, and uh, I'll be doing a breakout session in the back uh, a little bit later this morning. 
And so for those of you who are struggling with memory or you have a diagnosis of dementia, this session is just for you. And we'll be talking in a small group setting about some of the questions you may have and we'll share more information because I'm talking fast this morning. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention, uh, and Amy, our conversation reminds me of this this morning, is something that's not normal for a senior is to have a new onset of major depressive disorder or generalized anxiety disorder. So normally depression and anxiety, if so statistically about 30, 40% of us, if I said, who's got depression or anxiety, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands. But if I did, most many of you in the room would raise your hand. These are really common. But the age of onset of a major depressive disorder or anxiety disorder is in the te late teens, 20s, early 30s. These are onset younger and they're things that we struggle with uh, throughout our lifetime. Um, so the new onset of a depressive disorder or an anxiety disorder in someone who's 60s and 70s or 80s, that would be highly unusual. And that should be explored as a possibility of an underlying cognitive disorder like dementia. So these are things associated with abnormal brain aging. So what then would meet the criteria for that thing in the middle that I talked about, this diagnosis called mild cognitive impairment. So it's an intermediate state of brain function between normal aging and Alzheimer's uh, dementia. Um, you have more cognitive function loss than you'd expect for your age and level of education. So this is usually memory loss, so you can't remember as well as your peers. And um, as I said, about half to three quarters, if you have a family history of dementia and a parent or sibling, up to 90% of people will go on to develop dementia. And so the medications that we're developing now to prevent the progression, hopefully eventually to prevent the disease altogether, are best used in this MCI stage. And that's why understanding what MCI is and having your brain screen is so important because if you meet the criteria, you'll be able to access some of the medications that are just becoming FDA approved or you'll be able to go on a clinical trial looking at some of the newer and even more promising medications that are um, becoming available. And, and that's what Amy does in her job. So. I'm gonna come back to the question, well then what is Alzheimer's and dementia? So stated a different way, dementia, as I said, it's a neurodegenerative disease that causes cognitive function loss. So paying attention, memory, multitasking, language, and then that spatial skills resulting in functional dependence. So all those tasks that I mentioned just a minute ago, they're things that you ordinarily were able to do in your life quite independently, like driving or paying your bills or managing your meds, and now you need help doing it. So the diagnosis of dementia requires two things. It requires cognitive function loss and functional dependence. So Rebecca, my late wife, severe memory loss and eventually the other cognitive functions requiring dependence on me and her daughters to help care for her. That's what dementia is. 
Now, Alzheimer's disease is the most common type of dementia, and the cause of Alzheimer's disease is really still largely unknown. We understand what happens when the brain is affected by Alzheimer's, but what that trigger is, we still don't really know. And the, so when I t spoke last year, I said the option, there are no options for prevention and treatment. Now we have some options. They're limited and their effectiveness is not what we want them to be, but we do have options and that's something that's new. Now, when you say, oh, you know, my loved one has Alzheimer's and dementia, technically that's not correct. That's like saying, I have a car and a Chevy, or I have a car and a Ford, or I have a car and a Toyota. So um, the word dementia is the umbrella term, like the word car is the umbrella term. So there you see an umbrella with dementia, and underneath the umbrella are the most common types of dementia. There's about 40 different types of dementia, but these that are shown here, Alzheimer's disease and something called late, Lewy body dementia, vascular dementia, frontotemporal dementia, and the dementia of Parkinson's disease, that makes up 99 plus percent of all the different kinds of dementias. The others are really, really rare and I won't talk about them. So when you talk about dementia, you technically you would refer to the subtype underneath the umbrella. You wouldn't say Alzheimer's and dementia. So the Alzheimer's-like dementias are the most common. So that includes Alzheimer's disease discovered by Dr. Alzheimer's more than 100 years ago. And something that was just recently uh, discovered about three years ago called late has a long name, limbic predominant TDP43 encephalopathy, easier just to say late. But this is something that looks like Alzheimer's disease, but it has a different pathology and therefore it would require a different treatment. And I'll come back to that in a sec. Uh, vascular dementia is the next most common. Vascular dementia is dementia that occurs after somebody has had a stroke or maybe a bunch of mini strokes, but they have a reduction in the blood supply to their brain. And the result of that is that less blood flow that the neurons get sick and they don't function as well and some of them will die. And so that's vascular dementia in the pure form. The reality is that um, often Alzheimer's dementia and vascular dementia will coexist with each other uh, and the person will have a combination. Next most common is Lewy body dementia. So this is very unique kind of dementia. There are little things that collect in the brain. They're called Lewy bodies named after Dr. Lewy who discovered them. And Lewy body dementia is very similar to the dementia that occurs in Parkinson's disease. So up to half of people with Parkinson's will develop dementia and that's called Parkinson's disease dementia. And then last but not least is frontotemporal dementia. Frontotemporal dementia affects the front lobes, the frontal lobes of the brain and the temporal lobes of the brain, hence frontotemporal dementia. And there are two patterns. So this has been in the news lately because the actor Bruce Willis year ago was diagnosed with the less common form of frontotemporal dementia called primary progressive aphasia, where he lost the ability to talk. And, um, and sometimes people who have PPA, 
they'll go on to develop what's called behavior variant FTD, where the dementia then affects their behavior in addition to their language. And that was just reported in the news in the last few days that Bruce Willis now has what's called behavior variant FTD. So um, let's talk about what each of these look like. Alzheimer's disease is the classic symptoms of Alzheimer's disease are three things. Short-term memory loss, difficulty multitasking, and spatial function challenges. So spatial disorientation, wayfinding problems like getting lost with driving and falling. And so that's the classic three things. Memory loss is first and it's worst. So uh, Alzheimer's disease, if the predominant symptom of somebody with dementia isn't short-term memory loss, they don't have Alzheimer's disease. Alzheimer's disease first starts in what's called the hippocampus, the memory part of the brain, and that's what's affected the worst. Now this, this other disease called late, this limbic predominant blah, blah, blah thing that I mentioned, um, this looks a lot like Alzheimer's disease. It occurs in people who are older, but they have mostly memory loss, not as much the multitasking issue or the, uh, the spatial function problems. It's mostly short-term memory loss and mostly in people in their 80s or their 90s. And the differentiation is important because the underlying cause is different and therefore the treatment will be different for late than it is for Alzheimer's disease. And then vascular dementia looks a lot like Alzheimer's disease, plus you have the symptoms of whatever the stroke was. So it may be partial paralysis of the face or an arm or a leg, or maybe speech difficulties in addition to the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. So that's Alzheimer's and, um, uh, and late uh, and vascular dementia. Frontotemporal dementia, very different. So I'm gonna talk about behavior variant frontotemporal dementia. Personality changes with socially inappropriate behavior. That's the thing, the person's breaks are lost on the things that they normally wouldn't say or wouldn't do in public. So they do and say socially inappropriate things. It's a behavioral issue. They have loss of empathy. They're no longer able to understand the pain and suffering of others. And those are kind of the big features. Now, it does affect the temporal lobes, not the memory part of temporal lobes, with frontotemporal dementia, but it affects the language. So over time, a person with FTD, their language will be affected. Or if they happen to have just that primary progressive aphasia, it's primarily their language that's affected. And eventually they'll have difficulty with that executive function, the planning, problem solving, and multitasking ability. Now, Lewy body dementia is really different. I say that Lewy body dementia is like four diseases in one. So there are issues with cognitive function, although they're often mild, but the person has what looks like Parkinson's disease. So they have a slow kind of shuffling walking. Uh, they may be a little hunched over. Their muscles may be really stiff and they'll have a tremor. So uh, that's the Parkinson's component. They have some mental health symptoms. So delusions and hallucinations, like somebody who has schizophrenia. You know, they see things and hear things that aren't there. They have terrible uh, dreams. 
they have nightmares and they may act out those dreams aggressively. So that's kind of the mental health component of Lewy body dementia. And then there's a problem with what's called the autonomic or the automatic nervous system. Things that control your temperature, your blood pressure, heart rate, breathing rate, even your, uh, your continence, your bowel and bladder function, and your walking ability. Those things are affected with Lewy body dementia. And so the disease uh, starts in the middle of the brain. If you look at that brain figure towards the middle of my slide, you see this kind of reddish brown area. It starts deep in the part of the brain that controls movement. But then you get this domino effect. And this is true with all dementias. They start in one area, but then they start to affect one neuron, affects the next one, affects the next one, and then the dominoes start to fall. And so you can see in Lewy body dementia, in the later part, it's affecting almost the entire brain, the deeper part of the brain. And so really in the later stages, all the dementias look pretty much the same. So um, I'm gonna uh, finish with two slides. Uh, because I see my time is running out. And I have to tell you, if I'm not on time when that buzzer goes off, I'm in really big trouble. No, wait. <laughs> so the diagnosis, if you have abnormal brain aging, it's important to see a specialist, a neurologist, a geriatric psychiatrist, a geriatrician, somebody whose bread and butter practice is the diagnosis of people with cognitive impairment and dementia. I would say the typical primary care doctor is not adequately trained to make a diagnosis of dementia. They can do the screening and get you onto someone who can make that diagnosis, but it should not be done in a primary care office. So it includes all the things that are listed here. And I wanna say that in addition to um, what's listed here, right in the middle, there's now a blood test uh, the name of the blood test is called Precivity AD. You can Google that and read about it. We now have a blood test for a marker of dementia. Um, and it can, again, be another piece of evidence to say you need a further evaluation. We now have scans that can be done that look at the anatomy of the brain. This shows somebody with dementia where there's a lot of shriveling or shrinking of the brain. And we have these things called PET scans that show us the activity of the brain, the metabolic activity, like where the brain is using energy or the accumulation of the bad protein in the brain, which is called uh, amyloid. And you can even look for amyloid by doing a spinal tap. So um, uh, I'm gonna actually, I'm gonna stop there since I'm out of time. There are a couple of more slides that talk about um, diagnosis including the cognitive screening test uh, that you would go through. So the, um, let me just show you what that looks like. So um, there's a paper and pencil test that you can take that will do a screening for, um, for dementia. And that's what Amy is offering um, through the NRC, which in my career I knew is the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, but that's okay, Mark, I'm flexible. Um, but uh, the cognitive function test is a paper and pencil test where you do a couple things with the paper and pencil and then the examiner asks you questions. It takes about 10 minutes, 15 minutes. It doesn't hurt at all. It's like a free brain checkup. And I would encourage you to sign up for one if you have concerns about abnormal brain and uh, aging. 
So if you have more questions, if you have memory loss or dementia, I'll see you in the session a little bit later. Uh, please sign up for a brain screening if you'd like to have one. And then if you have questions about things I talked about uh, or things I didn't talk about but related to dementia or Alzheimer's, please fill them out and we'll be doing a Q&A this afternoon. So with that, I'm gonna stop. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe to this channel if you've not already done so and leave a review if you found this content helpful.